Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. For those who uh, aren't regular here, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a series, and in fact at one particular passage, which describes the amazing encounter that the prophet Isaiah had when he'd walked into the temple one day. And uh, those of you who know that passage from Isaiah 6 will remember that out of that passage we, we found five headings which we said we were going to examine during the course of the year. And uh, so far we've only dealt with the first one, which was passion. And uh, we're getting on through the year, so I thought it was about time we moved on to one of the other headings. So the other headings to remind those of you who haven't uh, remembered were purity, presence, prayer and power. And... uh, We up to now have been looking at how it was that Isaiah came to have such a passion in his life that it motivated his ministry for the 60 years that were to follow. And uh, today we move on. We move on to the second of the headings, which was purity. You may remember how we saw that purity was one of the preliminaries to Isaiah's ultimate call, his cleansing. How the seraph took a burning coal from the altar in response to Isaiah's prompting by saying, I'm a man with an unclean mouth, and he cleansed him. He touched his lips with that burning coal. And that was in recognition of Isaiah's sinful state. It also, though, was in recognition of the depravity that was in the nation around him. And the truth is that if we want to start having encounters with God that are anything like the ones Isaiah had, then we need to be aware of the issues in our life as well. Because otherwise, they will cause barriers. And when we recognise them, what we need to do is do something to take action to resolve the problem. If you like, we need to feel the heat of God's cleansing flame touching our lives, purifying us, purifying our lives, our minds, and if necessary, our lips, just like Isaiah's. And as we start to recognise actions, thoughts and attitudes that are wrong, we need to bring them to God so that they can be dealt with at the cross. And so with this in mind, I want us to start our second part of the preaching series, Purity. The passage I want us to look at today actually comes from one of the other prophets. It's from Ezekiel chapter 8. And this is how it reads. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, 
on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand, and he took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there. Like the vision that I'd seen in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes up towards the north. And behold, the north of the altar gate, in the entrance, was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here. To drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see still greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations they are committing here. So I went in and saw, and there, engraved on the wall and all around, was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah, the son of Shephan, standing amongst them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, you will see greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat a woman heating for, weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces towards the east. 
worshipping the sun towards the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here? That they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And although they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Let's just have a look at the background to this passage. Ezekiel's a book that people don't preach on very much. It's one of those that people avoid. Because it's full of imagery, it's full of things that we're unaccustomed with these days. But Ezekiel. Ezekiel means God strengthens. And he had this vision somewhere during the summer of 592 BC. At the time, he was living as an exile. He was living in exiled community of Judeans who were actually captive in Babylon. And it was during the second time of a total of three deportations of Israelites into Mesopotamia. And each of those deportations had actually weakened the nation of Israel. And eventually the third one would virtually lead to its demise. About 597 BC, so about five years earlier, the Babylonians had taken Judah's king into exile. He was only 18 years old at the time, and he'd only been on the throne for about three months. And they took along with him several thousand of the leading citizens of the time. And you can read all about that in 2 Kings 24. And Ezekiel was among their number. At the time, it's thought he was about 25 years old. The political situation was very complex. The Judean king was amongst the exiles, but the Babylonians had actually appointed a puppet king on the throne in Jerusalem. And that happened to be the real king's uncle, just to complicate things further. Ezekiel belonged to the priestly class, and he was married. But there's no record of him having any children. And here he was, exiled away from Jerusalem, so he was unable as a priest to officiate in the temple. And because of that, and because of his age, he probably hadn't gone through the initiation into the priesthood. He had his first vision when he was about 30, and here he is, addressing a community that have been forced from their homes. And who, in many ways, because of that, have started to turn their backs on God. His primary concern was to see God's glory restored to the nation of Israel. And he wanted to see it done in the full view of the other nations who were watching what was going to happen. 
As a priest, he was deeply concerned with the holiness of God and with the sin of the people. And that is a repeated theme that comes out during his prophecies. Along with the message that Jerusalem would eventually fall to the Babylonians. So with that in mind, let's have a look at what he had to say. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord fell on me there. This is the second of Ezekiel's visions. And here we see he's at home in Tel Aviv. He was sitting with a group of people, and they were the elders, the leaders of this exiled community. Now, this isn't the only time that he has a vision while he's in amongst a group of people. And although it's not totally clear from the passage, it seems as though the elders had come and met with Ezekiel, hoping to get some revelation from God about the predicament they find themselves in. And as Ezekiel meets with them, he says, the hand of God fell upon me there. So obviously, as they met together, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon Ezekiel and gave him this vision. And then the passage goes on to tell us of the vision. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man... Although what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand, and he took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north. Where there was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now towards the north. So I lifted my eyes up towards the north, and behold, the north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here <coughs> to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see greater abominations. So Ezekiel sees this vision of God as a figure. It obviously had the broad form of a man, but it was shining brightly. And then he has this sensation of being lifted up into the air by his hair and transported in the spirit to Jerusalem. Now, despite the detail and intensity of what Ezekiel then goes on to describe, he was aware that it was a vision rather than actually being transported there. And he finds himself in the temple complex, near to the gate into the inner court. And then he is shown, in succession, a series of different scenes. 
can you put up the plan? Now, most of us don't know what the temple looks like. And so, here's a floor plan of it. Okay? Now, some of you would have heard of various parts of the temple. And so, A, right, right in the heart of the temple, is the Holy of Holies. The most holy place. And that is where the manifest presence of God was to be found. It was an area that was only visited one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, when the priest, the high priest, would enter the Holy of Holies in such fear and trepidation that they would tie a rope around his ankle and he would have bells sewn to the hem of his garments so that if he stopped moving and they feared that he'd been struck dead, they could pull him out with the rope. And then you've got... The area just before that, the holy place, the inner room of the temple. And that's B on the plan. And then you've got a porchway. And if you, if you like getting into this sort of stuff, you can read that even the two pillars next to the portway had names. They're called Boaz and Jackin. And then you've got the inner court which is D. Now, even that area was an area that only priests were allowed into. Most of the nation of Israel would never go any further than the outer court, which is G. And when you start reading about Solomon's temple, and when you start reading in the New Testament about things that happened, when Jesus overturned the um, moneylenders market, that was in fact outside of even that area in what was called the court of the Gentiles that you or I might have been allowed into. And so Ezekiel found himself taken to the entrance of the gateway to the inner court that faces north. Now you can read it in several ways, but this is the inner court. So I reckon he was somewhere here. There are three gates that go from the outer court into the inner court. And they face north, east and south. And that northern gate was the one that was used on rare occasions by the king. And because of that, it was the most prominent of the gates. And as he looks, he sees two things. He sees what he calls the seat of the image of jealousy. And he also sees the glory of God. Now it isn't clear what this image was that he saw, but it's described as something that provokes jealousy. It was obviously some kind of idol, and as such it was seen by him as a rival to God. It might have been something like an image of the goddess Asherah. Because that had stood in the temple during the days of Manasseh. You can read about that in 2 Kings 23. It might have been a sculpture of an angel guarding the doorway. We don't know. But what's clear is it had become an object of worship. And I think the vagueness of this description is deliberate. 
It's so that we don't get our attention drawn away from the real truth of what's being shown here. And that is God's outrage at idolatry. Why was he so outraged? Well, what's happening here is contrary to the covenant that had been made with Moses. You can read about this in Exodus 20. But it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is under heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. But that wasn't the only thing Ezekiel saw. Although he saw this idol worship going on, he was also aware of the presence of God's glory just as he's seen in an earlier vision. And you can read his earlier vision in Ezekiel 1, 28. What this shows is that despite this abomination being practiced in the temple, God had not removed his presence from his house. It shows how patient God was towards his rebellious people. But then, as if this was not bad enough, idolatry going on in the temple, God says to him, you're going to see worse yet. And Ezekiel goes on to describe it. And he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall. And behold, there was an entrance, and he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations they're committing here. And then Ezekiel goes on to describe what he sees. There, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. Ezekiel's taken to the wall next to this entrance. He sees himself digging a hole in it and he finds a secret door. A secret door that leads to a closed room. This room is covered with imagery with engravings of idols, of animals, and of other creatures. And 70 men, 70 elders, are worshipping these engravings. Here we have a scene of people appealing to the spirits of animals. They're represented by their pictures, but they're using incense and smoke to try and symbolise the glory of these images. This worship involved 
Israel's elders, the very leaders of the nation. It says it was being led by Jazaniah. Now, Jazaniah was from quite a prominent family. In, back in Jerusalem, his father had been a loyal minister in the cabinet of Josiah. You can find out about that in 2 Kings 22. And one of his brothers was well known as a defender of Jeremiah. And you can read about that in Jeremiah 26. And so it's tragic that a member of a great and faithful Judean family should be the leader of animal worship. Because this violates not only the second commandment that we've already looked at, but there's an additional warning in Deuteronomy 4. It says, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horab, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. But perhaps their worst sin is shown in their faithless comments. The reason they're doing this is because they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. What intensifies God's anger is that these acts are being carried out by the people who have a duty to safeguard the nation. But as if that wasn't bad enough, Ezekiel was then warned that he had worse to see. It says, Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat a woman weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You'll see greater abominations than these. Back where he first started at the north gate, he now sees Tammuz worship going on. Tammuz was the Hebrew form of the worship of the dying and rising Babylonian god of plant life. His death was mourned by women weeping every year in the autumn when they saw the crops die and when they saw the trees shed their leaves. And then in the spring, his life coming back to the world was celebrated when they saw the sprouting of nature. But even this was not the only paganism going on. And as he goes on, he, he talks further. He says, and he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshipping the sun towards the east. 
We're now right in the inner court. Can you put the map back up? We're in the inner court. Here's the porch. And here's the altar. So we're right in the heart of the temple. In an area where only priests were allowed. So by implication, these people worshipping the sun must have been priests. And they were turning their back on the temple and turning towards the sun so they could worship it. They were turning their back on God. Now this isn't the only time that the sun was worshipped in the temple. You can read about another time in 2 Kings 23. But never before had it been worshipped at the very entrance to the holy place. Never before do we read about it being worshipped by priests. And with their back to God. Their wrongdoing couldn't go without judgment. There's some words there that tend to get translated in most Bibles as they were putting the branch to their nose. Quite what that means is a little bit obscure. But you get the impression it's a gesture of derision. It's probably like some of the actions we use today. Whatever. And as a result of that, God promises swift punishment on them in verse 18. Because what we see is a total desecration of the temple and his covenant. Whatever. So how does this apply to us today? first thing we have to look at is it was the Israelites who were doing all of these abominations. Now it would be foolish that anyone should worship idols or nature. But it's particularly foolish it should be the Israelites because they had known the true God. They'd had access to him. They'd had access to his truth and his covenant. And so, for them to be involved in pagan worship was just atrocious. But it's a fact that the truth, and even knowing the truth, doesn't stop people ignoring or abandoning it. It tells us that in Romans, in Romans 1.21. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Trouble is, this is to their own detriment. But nonetheless, people are very capable of throwing away the only truth that could save them in favour of a lie that appeals for a moment to their taste or their habit. And if we're honest, that's why sin is so popular. 
because it appeals for a moment to our taste. It appeals to our habit, even though we know that it is only the truth that will set us free. But then secondly, they thought they could get away with it. They thought they could get away with it in some way because they felt that God was limited in his power. They underestimated him. But people do the same today. They think they can do as they please because God doesn't exist, God doesn't care, and God doesn't have the power to call them to judgment. Do you know they're going to have a shock one day? I ended up reading this passage and I was just faced with some questions. Were these people in Ezekiel's day naive? Yeah, I think they were. They'd underestimated God. Were they degenerate? Yeah. I think they were. Were they unusual? Sadly, I don't think they were. Nothing they did is particularly different from the foolish practices that people are capable of in our day, our generation and our society. Because what it's about is thinking themselves smart while actually... They're practicing foolishness. They're practicing what God believes are abominations. And Ezekiel saw that these were abominations before God. And let's just look at what he saw. He saw idol worship. I think we see that in our society today. The idols have changed. These days it's celebrity status, it's money, it's security for the future. But the warning in scripture is clear, beware, our God is a jealous God. Ezekiel saw secret and hidden things going on. We sometimes talk about the occult. The root of the word occult means hidden or secret. And do you know what? That is as rife today as it ever was in those days. He saw faithlessness. Even in the church, I think there is a crisis of faithlessness in some areas. Why do we have the impression that in this country the church is in decline? Why is that the portrayal we see? Sadly, because in many areas, even the church doesn't have faith for its own future. In the Methodist recorder about a year or so ago, the Methodist church was prophesying over itself that in ten years' time it wouldn't exist. <sighs> Faithlessness, even in the church. The worship of false gods and of nature. 
We see that in the world around us. But then turning their backs on God to worship other things. I just have a simple message this morning. If we want to meet with God and his manifest presence in the way that Isaiah did, we cannot allow these abominations to plague our lives. Paul warns us in the way that he warned the Corinthian church. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. Oh, I'll leave you with one simple question this morning. Is your temple pure? Or have you allowed abominations to creep in? If you have, then you need to do something about it. Because our God is a jealous God. Amen. If anything during the worship this morning, or while I've been preaching, has just touched you and you'd like someone to pray with you, then catch one of us after the meeting. Otherwise, have a great week. May God bless you, may he keep you, and may the light of his face just shine from you. And may he give you peace. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.